Welcome to the Colonial Department, the podcast where we take long-lost stories from Philippine colonial history and bring them to life. In this episode, we return to the dawn of the colonial age, when a sailor, friar, and navigator named Andres de Urdaneta would change the fate of the Philippines forever. This is episode 13, Torna Viaje. September 8, 1522. The sound of cannons in the Seville air. The last remaining gunpowder aboard the now Victoria, a weather-beaten carrack limping into the Spanish harbor. A shocked crowd gathered at the docks as the ship weighed anchor, pulling into its final destination after a voyage of three years and 20 days. Aboard were at least three captives from the Maluku Islands and 18 Europeans the last survivors of the Magellan Expedition and the first men to go around the world. These men had endured much, years of hunger and desolation and danger, of seeing their commander slain in the churning shallows, of friends deserting them or dying right before their eyes. When they stepped off aboard the ship, they already seemed like ghosts, thin, wasted, feet bare, Clothes all tatters on their emaciated frames, blank stares on their faces. The people in the docks handed them lit candles, and as they walked on their native soil for the first time in years, shocked silence and whispers followed them. The people of Spain could not believe that the grand, gallant, and proud expedition of five ships had been reduced to this skeleton, skeletal crew. Then, as they walked to the shrine of the Virgin Mary, there was applause and cheering. Few achievements in the history of mankind would equal the first circumnavigation of the world. It was a feat as monumental as the first flight, the first footsteps on the moon. But in the court of Imperial Spain, the powers that be returned to the blank spaces in their maps and charts and eagerly began filling them in. In the Magellanic voyages arc around the world, they saw the circular edge of a gold coin, a road to untold riches. With an experience like this, you wouldn't blame any of Magellan's sailors if they retired from the seafaring life forever. But one Sebastian Elcano, captain of the now Victoria, had been richly rewarded by the crown. He was granted an annual salary of 500 gold ducats, as well as his own coat of arms, which showed the globe and a Latin inscription, Primus Circumdedistime, that is, you were the first to circumnavigate me. Three years after his arrival, Elcano became the primary pilot of a new seven-ship expedition to duplicate the feat and plant the imperial flag on the Maluku Islands or as the Spanish called it, La Especieria, the Spice Islands. This was the Loaiza expedition, headed up by Garcia Jofre de Loaiza, financed by shares bought by eager investors and burdened with the responsibility of staking a Spanish claim in the vast Pacific Ocean. Elcano was Loaiza's second-in-command and skipper of the Sanctus Spiriti, a 240-ton vessel. Also aboard the ship, was a 17-year-old youngster 
named Andres de Urdaneta, who was destined to usher in the Philippines into the global map. Historian Jose Ramon de Miguel Bosch called the Luaysa Venture one of the most disastrous expeditions of the epoch. It truly was a voyage of misfortune. Three months after launch, they were still off the coast of Africa, almost directly south of Spain, and then they spent almost a whole month on an island as they loaded provisions and overhauled one of their ships. The fleet plowed on westwards. When they reached the southern tip of South America, Elcano's navigational memory failed them. Instead of entering the Magellan Strait to cross into the Pacific, Elcano mistakenly led the fleet into a river. All ships ran aground. Luckily, when the tide rose, the ships were able to escape, except one, the Sanctus Spiriti, Elcano's own vessel. Elcano and Urdaneta had to transfer to another vessel. Meanwhile, two ships took off on their own, abandoning the mission and deserting the fleet. Ten months after they had departed Spain, the remaining ships crossed into the Pacific Ocean. Their bad luck held. A storm split the fleet apart. Two of them would be lost to the sea. One tacked far north to Mexico. And finally, aboard the flagship Santa Maria de la Victoria, the senior officers of the expedition began dying of disease one by one. First Loaiza and then Elcano, and soon many other loyal officers and administrators. The Santa Maria de la Victoria eventually reached the Philippines. Even if Elcano was no longer alive to see the archipelago he had first set eyes on many, many years ago. After one year and three months of sailing, the ship touched down in Mindanao and then turned south as King Carlos I had ordered to take over the Maluku Islands. They were already too late. The Portuguese had beaten them to the punch. When the Spanish settled in the port of Zamafo, on the island now called Halamajera, an emissary sailed in to tell them that the Spice Islands were already a possession of Spain's biggest rival. The Spanish, the 105 of them that were left, made the decision to stay to hold their little piece of the Maluku Islands against all odds. Those odds were indeed stacked against them. Portuguese raids were relentless, and so was the fighting with the natives. In one battle, a keg of gunpowder exploded beside Urdaneta, who was now 19 years old. His face on fire, he leapt into the water. Penning a report years later, Urdaneta said, My being a good swimmer saved me that day. But he would carry that scar on his face for the rest of his long life. After eight long years, only 27 or 28 of them were left alive, wrote Urdaneta. Their ship, the Santa Maria de la Victoria, had long sunk to the bottom of the ocean. The natives were planning to kill all foreigners. Worse, the Spanish got word that their own king, Carlos I, had already sold his rights to the Maluku Islands in the 1529 Treaty of Zaragoza. What was the point of staying there then? What was the point of the expedition? In 1535, ten years after they had embarked from La Coruña, the Spanish surrendered to the Portuguese 
and headed back to Europe aboard enemy ships. With Urdaneta was his daughter, half Spanish, half Maluku Islander. The Portuguese ships sailed west for one year, from the Spice Islands to Java to India, and then round the Cape of Good Hope in southern Africa until the survivors finally arrived in Europe, the second group of people to travel around the world. All of Urdaneta's papers, including documents from the officers who had died in the ill-fated expedition, were seized by the Portuguese upon his arrival in Lisbon. Urdaneta was able to slip away to Spain but left his daughter behind. Back in his home country, armed with an exacting memory and a tireless quill, he wrote down everything he remembered about the 11-year journey. In the years to come, that report became the Spanish administration's go-to guide to the Pacific and Urdaneta himself their valued consultant. Years passed. Urdaneta was appointed as an administrator in Nueva España, seat of the former Aztec Empire and now called Mexico. He also became an Augustinian friar. One more expedition, commanded by Ruy López de Villalobos, succeeded in reaching the Philippines. Villalobos gave the archipelago the name that endures to this day, Las Islas Filipinas. But ultimately, the expedition ended with the sailors under Portuguese custody. Villalobos died in captivity in the Maluku Islands. The years turned into decades, but from Mexico, Urdaneta always had his eye turned towards the west, towards the wild and storm-tossed seas. 1559, by then, Urdaneta was already more than 50 years old. Age and the great scar of his youth sat heavily on his face. But on that year, Felipe II, the guy the Philippines was named after, ordered the Viceroy of Nueva España to launch a new expedition to occupy the Pacific Islands. For Urdaneta, it would be one final adventure, one last ride. It was a plan that had been in the works for years. The royal coffers were being drained in an ongoing conflict in mainland Europe. Felipe II looked to the Far East and the Asiatic trade as his golden jackpot. In a sealed order to the Viceroy of New Spain, King Felipe II wrote, You must try to bring back some spices and, undertaking the voyage as a trial, you will return to Nueva España so that it may be ascertained that the return voyage is achievable and the cost of this voyage can be determined. You will instruct the persons who will be sent that in no case should they enter the Moluccas Islands so as not to violate the agreement that we have made with His Serene Highness, the King of Portugal, but may enter other adjacent islands such as the Philippines. And so the King of Spain made his intentions clear. This new expedition would sail to the Philippines and then back again to Mexico. Instead of a journey around the world, it would be a torna viaje, a return voyage, a U-turn that would transform the Pacific maritime trade into a reality. There was just one problem. 
1494 in an act of hubris that represented in a nutshell all the greed and avarice of the colonial age. Spain and Portugal divided the world into two. An arbitrary demarcation line was drawn. All quote-unquote undiscovered lands east of this line belong to the Portuguese, and all quote-unquote undiscovered lands to the west belong to the Castilians. This was the infamous Treaty of Tordesillas, ratified by the Pope himself. The 1529 Treaty of Zaragoza only further cemented Portugal's claim. So here was the problem. The Philippines lay on the Portuguese side of the world. The greatest Spanish navigators and mapmakers, including Urdaneta himself, knew that. Occupy the Philippines and you'd be basically violating a 60-year-old treaty and give the middle finger to the Catholic Church. Because of this, the plans were conducted in secret. It was absolutely essential that no one knew that Spain was ready to rip apart the terms of the Treaty of Tordesillas and the Treaty of Zaragoza until they had secured a beachhead in the Philippines. By then, the king thought, Portugal or the Pope wouldn't be able to do a damn thing. At the break of dawn on November 21, 1564, the four ships of the expedition of Miguel Lopez de Legazpi set sail from Barra de Navidad, Mexico. With him were around 500 men, sailors, soldiers, servants, and friars. Once they were out in the open sea, Legazpi broke open the wax seals containing his orders from the Royal Audiencia and read them out to his surprised crew, most of whom had been kept in the dark until that final moment. At Legazpi's side was Andres de Urdaneta, chief navigator of the expedition, almost 57 years old now. Forty years ago, he had first set sight on the Pacific Ocean. On a map, the ocean appears as a flat expanse of blue. But in the age of sail, this wide ocean was a wilderness of tides and winds and storms and currents, and they were but four floating matchsticks against its merciless force. The Pacific Ocean had already swallowed up the lives of hundreds of Spanish voyagers. Urdaneta would be the one to guide them through it, but he was also convinced that this journey would be his last. Despite the dangers, the Spanish were clearly getting better at this sort of thing. They arrived in the Philippines on February 3, covering more than 7,600 miles in a mere 1,750 hours of navigation. One of the ships deserted the fleet, and a cabin boy was killed during a stopover in what is now called Guam, but otherwise, they reached Las Islas Filipinas without incident. The ships hopped from one island to the other, Samar, Leyte, Limawasa, Kamigin, negotiating or skirmishing or trading with the natives as the situation warranted. Anchored outside Cebu, Legazpi had the town shelled and then put to the torch. And he found, inside the smoldering ruins, a little image of Jesus Christ that Magellan's crew had gifted the queen many years before. Meanwhile, Urdaneta and Captain Felipe de Salcedo 
the 18-year-old grandson of Miguel Lopez de Legazpi, were prepping the now San Pedro for the Torna Viaje. Salcedo was about the same age Urdaneta was when he first arrived in the Philippines. Now, the two of them, young conquistador and scarred friar, were attempting a journey that had never been successfully done before. They left Cebu on June 1, 1565. They sailed north past Leyte and through the reef-studded channel between Samar and Leyte. They swung around the northern edge of Samar and caught sight of the great island of Luzon with the Bulusan volcano smoldering on the horizon. They plunged once again into the stormy swells of the Pacific Ocean. Unfurling their sails, they headed east, the opposite direction from which Magellan and Loaiza and Villalobos had sailed in, eastwards and forwards until at last they saw the Cape of Mendocino in a place we now call California. Finally, on October 8, 1565, the now San Pedro docked in the port of Acapulco. The die was cast. With a viable back-and-forth journey now established between Mexico and the Philippines, the archipelago of islands known as Las Islas Filipinas would now be bound to the fate of the Spanish Empire. The two would be chained together now, the links forged by Urdaneta and the historic feat of the Tornaviaje. listening to this episode of the Colonial Department. Here are the references I used in this episode. My primary resource was the book Urdaneta and His Times, written by Jose Ramon de Miguel Bosch and published by the San Agustin Museum in 2009. This was also supplemented by the article Conociendo a un Ordiziara Urdaneta, written by Irastorza Exteberia and published in Yusko Ikaskuntza. Details on the return of the now Victoria were taken from Elias Saleveria in Chaurendieta's painting El Regreso de Elcano, which was painted at the end of World War II, as well as the Museo de Naval's commentary on that painting. The Colonial Department was created and produced by Leo Mangubad. Follow us on Instagram at The Colonial Department.